Welcome to the Sunday Tennis Q&A with High Performance Coach Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally respected author and educator and is regarded as one of the leading junior development coaches in the world. Join Chris weekly for the most intelligent tennis talk show on the planet as Chris answers questions from his audience around the world. And now, here's Chris. Hey guys, it's Chris, Sunday night. I'm doing my Q&A show. Sunday night, live with Chris, uh, Q&A, tennis Q&A. Let me know if you have some tennis questions. I've been teaching all day today. It's been a long day. I think, I'm sure some of you, if you are coaches, you probably know what the weekends are like, but I've been working straight all day today since the early morning on the court and now I'm back home and I'm excited to talk some tennis. Actually, you would think I'll, uh, Sunday night I would not want to keep uh, talking about tennis or working on, you know, work, working. I guess it's, I don't know if it's work. I enjoy talking tennis and answering questions, but uh, I actually, this is one of my favorite times of the day because, or even of the week, because I, I work all weekend and I feel very fulfilled. I feel uh, very happy to be off the court and ready to talk some tennis. So I think if we can make this time a regular time and it works for people, it's a good time to answer questions. And my mind is, I have a lot of tennis ideas on my mind from uh, the weekend on the, the court. So oh, my kids are still up. Why are my kids up at 9.30 at night? Wanna say hi? You're on, you want to be on the show? Get in here. That's my Hi. son, Isaiah. Uh, did you want to tell everyone what happened to you this weekend? Huh? Uh, Isaiah won a big race. He, he won a, a mile race in Hoboken. He's a runner. He's a good runner. And I think we might have some more visitors from my family. But thank you all for watching. I see some friends already signed on. That's pretty cool. I see my friend Ish and my friends Michael and Zoe, Claudio Rosmarin, thank you for waving. Ariel Mendez, thank you for waving. Rosario Escolar Retuerta. Sorry if I mispronounced anything, guys. Thank you for waving. Jesse Gottlieb is watching. Thank you for waving, guys. Thanks for joining the program. It's a very simple program. I just talk about tennis a little, and I try to answer questions to the best of my ability, and try to share some tennis wisdom and some of my experience working with high-performance juniors especially. So that is sort of my expertise. My area of expertise is high-performance juniors and also uh, Spanish training. I've studied a lot in Spain and I wrote a book on Spanish tennis and a book on technique, so. I see my friend Jeremy Malfay. Did I say that right? My Facebook friend. I have a lot of Facebook friends from some of the Facebook uh, tennis groups, and I appreciate you guys supporting, supporting me and sharing in conversations on, on the Facebook groups like Tennis House. Tennis House is fantastic, and competitive tennis coaches, and the Spanish... Uh, Spanish coaches and drills to, um, I forgot the exact name, but I have to get the name right. 
um, Spanish coaches and drills group. That's an excellent group, too. My old student, Eric Halpern, is watching. What's up, buddy? How are you? Give me a shout-out. Tell me where you're at. Are you in New York? Uh, what are you up to? Very good player, Eric Halpern. It's good to see you, man. Um, Jeremy, do you have a question? Guys, if you have any tennis questions, you can shoot them out to me. Otherwise, I'm just going to kind of wrap a little. Uh, I've been talking about... Been talking about... <laughs> Somebody's giving me, uh, who is this, Clint Boyle, is this, uh, she's giving me some heart, heart eyes, I don't know what that means, but I'm married, sorry, I have three kids, I'm not available, but uh, anyway, uh, I just, I, if you guys don't have any tennis questions, I'll just kind of wrap, I've been talking about junior tennis and cheating, something near and dear to my heart, I'm really upset about the state of junior tennis, so may, I, I don't want to get too much of, off on a rant. Uh, about junior tennis and cheating, but oh, what is the name of it, Jeremy? You know, let me know. My friend Nick Nick Wagner's watching. What's up, Nick? How are you? Thanks for waving. Got a lot of people online tonight. I guess it's a pretty good time. I wasn't sure if I wasn't sure if you guys would you know be sleeping or it would be a popular time, but. It's a great time for me. I wish I could do it a little earlier. I'm really sorry, guys. I, I have to work. I work until pretty late on Sunday night on the court, you know. Um, thank you, Clint Boyle. Thanks for the shout-out. Good to have a fan. Robert Garrett, what's up, buddy? Uh, see a lot of friends online. A lot of people watching Sunday night. I guess Sunday night's going to be a great show. Guys, I want some questions on... Tennis and junior development, shout it out to me and I will try my best to humbly answer. Rafael Aravelo is watching and waving. Thank you, man. Oh, which group is that, Jeremy? That has 18.7 thousand members. Eric Halpern, uh, stay in touch. Shoot me, maybe shoot me a text or email. Let me know how you're doing. Eric Halpern, if you're still online, I'd really like to. I love seeing what's happening with my students. All my students are growing up. Students from... From a decade ago, they were graduating college, and some of them are playing professionally now. Some of them are in the work in the workforce and doing interesting things. It's fascinating for me. Robert Garrett asked, "Do I have any kids playing down in Eddie Her? I don't have any players there for that tournament. I think I may be going to an ITF in Panama with a player about uh, which is the same." date of the qualities in Eddie Herr. So I may be going to Panama next week if that interests any of you, but I have to get permission from the the player's mom to share that information, but uh, I, I will ask and see. Nick Wagner says, gotta have the bananas for Sunday. So Nick Wagner, <laughs> he worked with me. He knows what Sundays are like. Sundays are a long day for me on the court, guys. I'm really, really uh, killing it on the court. And at the end of the day, uh, my, my friend Michael said, you really want to talk tennis Sunday night? And I, I said, actually, it's like my favorite time of the day. I'm, I'm pumped. I have a lot of tennis ideas in my mind. And happy to share uh, any answers I can give you guys. My friend Ben Sterner is watching. What's up, Ben? Thanks for the wave. Frank Solana is watching. Thank you for waving. Spen my other friend, Spencer Weinberg, is online. Uh, 
Thanks for waving, Spencer. You guys have any tennis development questions? Let me know. Ah, Jeremy has a question. First question of the night on the Sunday night, Sunday Q&A with Chris Show. Last week we went on Monday night because I was traveling and this weekend I was able to actually get the show started on time and at the correct date. Uh, Jeremy has a question. If you were to teach an 8 to 12 year old a one-handed backhand grip, what would you give them? That is such a great question and I'm going to answer it in maybe a controversial way because I've been teaching the one-hander with a semi-western grip. It's a really cool grip. I think it's very progressive and modern. I haven't seen many coaches teaching it. Basically, you take your semi-western or extreme semi-western forehand and you flip it over and you use the other, the same side of the racket to hit the backhand. And it's actually almost the identical grip. There's, there's very little shifting of the grip, at all, if, uh, very little grip shift, if any. And you can, you can basically use the same grip for the backhand. It creates a strong semi-western to, to, to uh, extreme eastern backhand. And you can also use it on the other side for the forehand. I've been using that with a lot of success with some of my students the last year, year or two. And I've been experimenting with it. And I, I think it's the future. Even more than, than, the, than the Eastern. It's, it's beyond Eastern. So let me know what you think about that. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain without a racket. I don't have a racket with me, but if anyone wants to follow up with me by email or, or uh, maybe I'll put out a video on that. You know, we're blowing up the YouTube channel right now. We're, we have a, we're, we're trying to build subscribers on YouTube right now. So maybe I will, I will put out a, a video about that grip structure for the one-hander. Yeah, it's grip grip question night. What do we got on here for? We got another grip question. What is your opinion on teaching the continental grip to four to six year olds? No, I don't. I don't do it. I teach all young kids modern grips. So for me, I'll teach the correct grips right away that I see it. It will be semi western, more or less for the forehand and backhand two hander will be a, a strong. Uh, probably Eastern or semi-Western with the left hand on a two-hander or uh, and now I'm teaching the one-hander with the semi-Western uh, so it's actually the same grip it's like it's like magic you have no grip change uh, there's a guy on tour Jack Sock who does this now with the two-hander but he actually has a pretty good one-hander and if you watch him he he flips the racket over and uses the same side of the racket to hit the ball which is uh, I think you're going to start seeing it more and more, even with the two-hander, because it, it saves you any kind of grip change. Some guys like to fiddle with the grip and make a lot of changes, but a lot of guys, a lot of guys uh, are just kind of windshield wipering it and hitting actually with the same side of the racket, which my old coach, Gilad Bloom, used to yell at me all the time and tell me that was really bad. But I'm going to have to step out and, and disagree with my old coach, the, the legend, the technical genius, Gilad Bloom, and say that I like hitting, I like that grip structure and I like hitting with the same side of the racket and I don't think, it, I don't think it's a problem, you know, to, to do it that way. Yeah, so Jeremy's saying, wow, strong grip, so the index knuckle on bevel eight, Guga used to use that. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Bevel eight, you'll have to remind me bevel eight, am I gonna fail my USPTA exam? I think I might. Bevel eight, I mean almost towards bevel seven. I think I, I, I have, you have to refresh what you mean by uh, with the bevels, but 
yeah, Robert Garrett's asking, can you show us how you teach the form in the two-handed backhand? Yes. One one second, Robert. I wanted to answer that question on four- to six-year-olds. There's a coaching philosophy that you should teach kids, like Tony Nadal says, you should teach kids like calligraphy, like very, very uh, kind of tr in a traditional form, and then later they'll develop the modern form. I don't believe that. I think it's wrong. I think we should teach kids modern right away, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't start them with a, uh, very traditional grips and swings, swing shapes. Uh, I think it's a waste of time. It's very inefficient. And I don't think they should have to learn a second technique later on. So that's basically how I feel about that. And I don't agree with Tony Nadal, who says that he's teaching the kids very, very, very old-fashioned technique, the young ones. And I, I would teach them modern right away. Uh, the other... The other common grip question you get is should you start kids like with an eastern forehand because they're probably going to slide over to a semi-western which a lot of top coaches think uh, you should do it that way and it's a pretty pretty good advice but I don't I don't really think that's efficient either I would teach the the correct grip right away like semi-western extreme semi-western and I'll just monitor it you know I'll monitor the kid really closely and if if it starts to slide I'll just fix it you know, like people talk like it's the end of the world if the grip slides. Like you just fix it. It might take, you know, you might, you might have to take a little time and, and rework the grip. But, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm basically arguing for teaching kids one way initially to save time rather than teaching them two techniques or two ways and then sort of try to upgrade it later. I, I, that's where I'm at right now philosophically. And I know some of you may disagree with me. And I know a lot of top coaches who like to teach, for example, the, the, the beginner forehand with the eastern grip, but to me that's outdated. I'll, I'll just teach it the way I want it right away. Um, question from got a lot of, lot of questions here, guys. A lot of people are are buzzing. Enrique GM, my friend, thank you for watching, man. Also, let me know where you're watching from because I like I like when I get the international audience. I like uh, hearing from people from around the world. That's very interesting for me to hear what what the questions are from other countries. Yes, so Robert Garrett says, sorry, Robert, I'm just checking. Uh, we got a lot of questions online here on the board. If you have a talented player, and can you teach him the exact back end that is perfect to, to show, what are the coaching points? Show us. Well, on, on the, uh, the two-hander, basically I teach it like Macy. Uh, if you've seen the way Rick does it, I think Rick's a genius. I have great respect for Rick Macy, and I've studied with him down in Florida, and I think he's amazing. So maybe he's not doing everything uh, exactly like I would technically, but I, I think he's incredible, uh, incredible, incredible legend, and he has an amazing charisma on the court, uh, amazing uh, communication with young kids, amazing motivator, and I think he's very good with technique. And I like the technical system that he developed with Dr. Brian Gordon. So if you're wondering how I teach it, it's, it's going to be very similar to that. Probably not carbon copy of the way Rick's doing it. And I don't use all of the, some of the names that he uses for different positions like, you know, tap the dog and, and some, of the, some of the things like that. But I have great respect for Rick and I think he's a very good technician and an even better motivator and communicator. And he's incredible with young kids. Incredible the way he connects with young kids and talks to them and motivates them is unbelievable. And I think he's one of the best in the world at that. 
And actually, I personally aspire to be that, that good, uh, that good with young children. And if you see that I, I market myself as the prodigy maker and uh, a coach who works with a lot of young kids, I have. Uh, for me, Rick is the is the top top coach for young kids in the world, and and I'm always measuring myself uh, next to him uh, uh, on a. On a, on a daily basis, I say, am I doing it? Am I connecting with the kids? Am I communicating as well as Rick would do? Because I, I think he's, he's, he's amazing. I think he's amazing on court. Uh, question, did, did that help with the two-handed Robert? I didn't really get into the, the details, but basically you want the hands to the outside. You want to get the flip of the racket. You want to get a great shoulder turn. You want to drive with the legs. You want to get good extension the way Lansdorp teaches it. You want to get a good hip rotation. Uh, you know, two-hander. You know what's interesting about the two-hander, and I don't know if any of you guys uh, uh, are interested, but I'm waiting for the next evolution of the two-handed technique. And I think that the two-hander hasn't changed that much of late. Uh, I think the one-hander, uh, the one-handed forehand, the forehand, the modern forehand has gone through a bit more technical evolution than the two-hander, let's say in the last 20 years and and I'm waiting for a very talented player to innovate with the two-hander. And not, the, the, the innovations that I can see right now potentially coming down the road is a reverse, a reverse two-handed shot. A reverse where, where the, the player is caught late and they need to spin it. And either they let go with the right hand and they, it becomes almost a left-handed forehand. Or they come up over their head with two hands. And I think there's a potential to reverse the backhand the way players reverse their forehands right now, and nobody's really doing it. I've never seen players reverse their backhand before. So I, I'm kind of excited to see if anyone will innovate and, and do something like that. And the other thing that I've written about a lot lately is I've, I've written about how I, I believe that you will see more, more players with lefty and righty forehands and, and, and maybe even bypassing the two-hander uh, altogether. So you'll see two semi-Western, modern, open stance, uh, semi-open stance, forehands instead of uh, double-handed backhand. Like the next evolution of the double-handed backhand might not be a backhand, it might be a, a, a forehand, uh, two forehands. And I think we can teach that to any kids that show some ambidextrous talent, but we don't, we don't, a lot, a lot of times we, we start young kids and they can play with both or we can train them with both when they're little and we just, everyone's boxed into the two-hander. We teach everyone the two-hander just because uh, I think coaches don't, don't, sometimes don't think about why not have two forehands. Two forehands could be uh, tremendous. So I know, you know, maybe I'll get, create some controversy, stir it up a little bit and throw that out there. But I, I, I want to I do it with one of my players. I haven't done it yet. So I still teach the two-hander just, just the way you see it on tour. But I'm really, I really want to try it with someone, if, with a talented kid and a parent who's on board. I want to try the two forehands. And I maybe want to experiment with reversing the two-hander. But I need, the, I need parents who are on board and give me permission. And, and I need kid, a kid who wants to, to kind of um, be a trendsetter, you know, some kids aren't comfortable doing, doing something like something innovative like that. But yeah, uh, another question from Michael, uh, Robert, I, I hope that helped tonight. I, I try to give long answers on my Friday show. I have a Friday show question and answer in the morning at 8:30 AM every Friday on Facebook. And I, I try to go uh, lightning round, but 
I'm seeing a lot of questions on the board, so I'm, I'm trying to get to as many as I can before I get too sleepy and I have to go to bed. Let's see. Michael says, what is the best thing I can do in order to approach the ball with optimal space between me and the ball? Why do I feel cramped and jammed? <laughs> That's like a personal question, Michael. Uh, a lot of that is reading. You know, you have to, you have to, your mind and, and body get accustomed, your eyes get accustomed to a certain spacing. And the, the best way I've found to fix that is to exaggerate. You exaggerate, you try to reach, you try to create more room than, than you normally would. You actually try to um, stretch for the ball. You, you leave more room, you trick your mind. You leave more room than, than you should. And sometimes you may reach too much, but you will, if you consistently do that, you will reorient your mind, your eyes, your mind, and your body to, to giving yourself more space. Uh, I was working with a player today, and uh, maybe I'll mention it, but I think players have the most trouble judging space when they're running forward to hit uh, an attack shot on a short ball because the, the distance is getting shorter very, very quickly because you're running fast forward, and it's very, very common. There's almost an optical illusion effect there where, where you, think you, have, uh, uh, you think you have more space between yourself and the ball than you really do because, because of the speed at which the two objects, the ball and you, are coming together. You're running up very fast, and it's very common for players to get jammed when they're attacking short balls. So I don't know if you're specifically referring to short balls, but that was just kind of on my mind. Short balls. Uh, for just general balls, you have, to, you have to stretch. You have to leave more space than normal and exaggerate. Exaggeration is the key to, to fixing or, or rebuilding or rewiring technique. It's always exaggeration. And my old coach, Gilad Bloom, taught me that. And he, he was a wizard with, with fixing technique. And I've never seen a, a coach so talented at, at changing technique and making it into something new and uh, transforming technique. And then Gilad Bloom. And I, I, I spent many thousands of hours on his court trying to learn the art of changing technique from him. And he's one of the best, I think, that I've ever, I've ever met. Okay, what do we see here? I have another. Do I have a comment? Yes, let's see. Dave Schwartz is watching. Is that my old college coach, Dave Schwartz? Well, that would be really cool to reconnect with him. Aaron Coles is waving. Adam Ohana is waving. Thanks, Adam, for tuning in to my show, my Sunday night show. Adam and I were working on the court earlier today. Cool, man. Uh, Jeremy had another question. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I got a couple questions here. Robert Garrett says... We have a lively show tonight. This is cool, guys. There's a kid here in the southern section that hits a righty serve on the deuce side and the lefty serve on the ad side. He also hits two forehands. His dad is his coach and taught him. Okay, guys, I'm really big on this. I believe it's a future trend. It just hasn't happened at the highest level of the pro tour yet. There's a guy in the challenger circuit, Robert, who does this now. There's several guys out there who do it. Uh, the, there's a, whether it's a forehand, forehand and backhand is easy. A, a lefty righty forehand is, is pretty easy to, to do. The serve takes a higher level of ambidexterity. And I, I don't know if there are as many kids who are, 
who are that gifted to do the serve. And the serve is incredibly time intensive. To do lefty righty serve is gonna take a lot more time than it's gonna be to teach two forehands. But I really believe this is a trend coming and it's potentially the next evolution of the two-handed backhand because I don't know where else the two-handed backhand is gonna evolve to. It's pretty much, it is what it is. It still, still kinda looks like the two-handed backhand. Not like Connors, like it's not stiff like Connors, but the basic swing is low to high, you know, follow through to the shoulder more or less. And I'm waiting for someone to innovate that two-hander. And I just think people may just not, they may just hit two forehands instead. It's not that hard to teach that when you have a decent level of ambidexterity in a young kid. It's not that hard to do it. If he serves lefty-righty, if you, if you can serve the same speed, lefty-righty, like the way Luke Jensen did it, it's very rare, and the level of ambidexterity is very, very high. And I don't know that, that there's a large percentage of the, of the, the population that can do that. And, and it, to train it takes a lot of time. So that's going to be part of the calculus. You know, how much time do you want to spend, and is it taking away time from other stuff? You know, all the time you're spending trying to teach the kid a lefty serve, you, you might be, there's an opportunity cost, you might be losing out on something else. So that's sort of a big factor there. Uh, with the with the ambidexter, ambidextrous players. I call them ambi players. I expect to see a lot more ambi players, and I've written about this. I really do. Um, let's see. There were some other, some other uh, questions here. Jeremy says, what do you feel are the fundamentals to the slice backhand technique, and what are the most common technical issues that you see with the slice? Yeah, you know what I'm going to have to do with, with some of these technical questions? I, I'm going to have to set up this camera, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll show you guys with the racket, or, maybe, or what I can also do is, set up, is answer with some videos and post them on our YouTube channel, uh, where I can get out there and show you with the, with the racket as well. But, but to give you the best, best explanation, because some of these explanations are easier to show than to explain, but I will describe it the best I can. The slice back in. You know, I believe in wrapping it around the neck for acceleration. A lot of kids have a stiff arm, have a stiff straight arm. And if you bend your elbow and wrap the slice around your neck the way Roger does it and, and a lot of the other top guys, you can get a lot more acceleration on it. So a lot of kids keep a stiff straight arm like an arm bar. And that's not going to produce the highest RPMs that, that you want to get, you know. The, the really special slices on tour, they have tremendous RPM, like Dolgopolov, like Federer, and they have a tremendous uh, wind-up. And it's, it, it makes the stroke more complicated, but it can give you that, that extra bite. That, you know, when you see a slice that's more of a straight-arm slice, it doesn't bite the same way that, that a bent-arm slice does. And then, you know, there are other things like the contact point is big, and a lot of players don't turn their shoulders enough in the preparation. And a lot of players swing across. You see that with young players. But, but, you know, you see a lot of pros who extend and then they finish across now. The slices evolve where the, the follow-through is not like it used to be in the textbooks where you just kind of extend and lift up. But a lot of guys like Fed and uh, Dolgopolov, they, they really finish across the body. They extend through enough. But then they, they sort of have this added flair across the body. So that, that is a, a trend to look out for with the slice. You know, the, the old school slice where you stayed sideways and, and extended all the way through and, and, and did, the racket didn't cross over the plane of the body on the follow through, 
you don't you don't you, you see a lot of players on tour breaking that that old mold. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on with the slice. Let me see what else I got here. Let's see. Jeremy says, I believe players get too close to the ball because they prepare with their elbows and hands too close to their body on the slice. Yeah, the hands and elbows should be away. Absolutely. Ah, I see that a lot. Yeah. The 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 preparation should the hands and el elbows should not be close to the body. They should be they should be forced outward uh, in this slice structure. Very good. Uh, Robert says the the ambidextrous player in Southern is 12 years old, top 20 nationally. Man, I really want to see that kid, but that's not enough. We need someone with Grand Slam talent. Just one player, like a Rafa, a Fed, who when they're growing up, they, they go ambi. Like Luke, could, it could have been Luke. It could have been Luke Jensen, but he was so talented. You know, I think he was the number one junior in the world. Amazing talent. Incredible. I, I played a doubles exhibition with him once. Incredible talent. Probably big, big, big time underachiever. Like probably should have been a Grand Slam singles winner. But for whatever reason, didn't happen. He got one in doubles. But I mean, that type of player... Uh, who wins singles Grand Slam and who's very charismatic. And if we get one player like that, one Ambi player like that on tour, I know that there's going to be a huge avalanche of players doing it, parents doing it with their kids back home. I think it will open up the floodgates for ambidextrous uh, players. Is that Dave Schwartz, my old college coach? Is, are you give me a thumbs up. That's cool, man. Got any tennis questions? Let me know where you're at. Are you in? Last I heard from you, you were up in Vermont. Is that is that true, or are you are you uh, back in New York, or wh where are you? I'd like to catch up. That'd be cool. All right, let's see what else we got here. Ben Sterner says, "Sounds like Luke Jensen who does this. Luke Jensen is the only guy, very top level guy, who could serve that I know of the same speed." ambidextrously so lefty and righty he could clock out close to 130 which when you think about it biomechanically or physiologically is incredible that uh, the muscular and, and the musculoskeletal system could produce the same amount of force on both sides and basically he served like the mirror image on both sides so, so just I think it's extremely rare much more common to be able to do two forehands a uh, lefty foreign and a righty foreign. Much more common in terms of the level of ambidexterity required. And I think many, many more kids could do that. The, the ambi serving, I, I'm not sure about that one. If that will become prevalent just because of the, the high degree of difficulty and the time that it's going to take to do it. Oh, I see my friend Jailon is on. That is not a tennis question, Jailon. How can I change a bad day into a good day? Well, if you're having a bad day, you should go play some tennis. That's what I recommend because whenever you play tennis, as an old student of mine used to say, it's a good day when you get to play some tennis, as long as you're not injured. So I would say go play some tennis. The kid that I'm referring to is very good, top 20 nationally. Okay, that's amazing. Can, can somebody send me his video or can put me in touch with his dad because I want to hear the whole story. Like seriously, Robert, I want to I get in touch with that kid's dad and find out what the story is, what the philosophy is what the game plan is for that kid. Can we get that kid a Grand Slam? Because he's going to open the floodgates for everyone else. 
Yeah, that's pretty good if he's got a 9 UTR and he's already uh, top 20 nationally in the 12s. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. Let's see, what else? Who we got here? Identical lefty-righty on this player. My friend Pablo's watching. What's up, man? Thanks for tuning in. Henry So is watching. Thank you for waving. Raj Lama is watching. Thank you for waving, guys. We've got a busy night here. It's a good night for tennis. It is my Q&A Sunday night show every Sunday night at 9.30. I am getting off the tennis court and I'm getting on my Facebook live feed and answering as many tennis questions as I, ha as I can until I get too sleepy and have to go to bed. Paolo Melgarejo is watching. Sorry about the pronunciation. Yeah, Robert wants me to set up a tripod. I want to do it. I want to. I, I, we're getting all that stuff because we're we're doing a lot more digital stuff now. We have a new digital school that we're starting with online courses for coaches, parents, and players. We have our YouTube channel is blowing up. We're we're going for. We're we're gonna be we're gonna be building out our YouTube channel with lots of free videos and stuff like that. So stay stay tuned for that. Lori Tachau is watching. Thank you for waving. Tim Treat is watching. Thank you. Sammy Madison is watching. I think that's my cousin. Thank you so much for watching. Appreciate it. It's my Sunday night show. I'm answering any kind of tennis questions. I can answer your life questions, but I don't know if that's my area of expertise. I'm better with tennis. No. All right, let's see what we got. We have... Uh, a lot of friends watching. Very cool. Davor the Karis is watching. What's up, Davor? Did I say your name right? You're my Facebook friend. Doing an awesome job with Tennis House. Guys, if you're a coach, you've got to join Tennis House. Check out the new app. It's amazing. I just plugged it for you, Davor. How about that? The new app is really cool. We're innovating. You know, I love coaches who are innovating, thinking outside the box. My old friend, Ar Arkady. Avery's dad. What's up, Arkady? How are you? Thank you for waving. Ah, Dave Schwartz says, Claremont Mud Scripps, you're in California. Dave, can you send me an email, uh, Chris at ChrisLewitt.com, and just just let like send me your contact info. I want to catch up with you offline. Um, have some good memories, man. Good memories. Send send me your email. Uh, send me your info. My email is Chris at ChrisLewitt.com, and. My number is 914-462-2912. 914-462-2912. That goes for anyone who wants to get in touch with me. I mentioned on a previous show that I do a lot of video review. I have a lot of parents who send me their kids' videos for review. And I look at them for free. I don't charge for that. I just like to help kids and families. I've been doing that for years. So if you have a video, you need some help, technical advice, Shoot it out to me, especially if the kid's talented. I'm looking for prodigies. We're looking for the next number one. Looking for the next number one in the U.S., number one in the world. Trying to get the next American champion. Uh, maybe I'm veering into my other show, which is the Prodigy Maker reality show. But we're, I'm looking for champions. Shoot me the videos, guys, and I'll check it out. Uh, especially if you got a talented prodigy. Gordon Paul, what's your plan or idea for cheating in matches? Right, I've been on that. 
All right, Robert says, do it live so I can ask, so people can ask live questions. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with my business manager on that, Robert. Try to get this, the tripod set up and answer the technique questions live. Uh, it's kind of like what, what Ian does at Essential Tennis, but he does it on the court. I'm going to need a film crew for that. We could do that at my club. I could get on court, we could get the film crew set up, and we could do a live session like that. That's what you mean. That'll, that'll, that's fine, but I can't do it Sunday night. Uh, because Sunday night I am just getting home and just barely getting on uh, on, to, on with the broadcast. Um, okay, there was another question about cheating. Should I get into cheating now? Are you guys too tired? Or am I going, if, if I get on the cheating rant here, uh, what is my plan? Do you mean my plan for my players? Gordon Paul, can you just specify, do you mean what is my, my cheating plan for my players? Or do you mean my plan to solve cheating in the entire junior game? Which is travesty. It's, it's currently a travesty in junior tennis. The prevalence of cheating is a travesty in the junior game. So... Uh, let me know if that's what you mean or if you mean what do I tell my players who are going out there into this toxic junior circuit environment about how to handle cheating. Let me know what you mean. How to get the USDA to change. Guys, I think USDA could squash this and just change it with uh, some very simple either rule changes or mandates. Come on, we've had mandates for all... USDA is very good at mandating things. Why don't they mandate we stop cheating? I mean, we got mandates for everything else. Why can't the USDA mandate no more cheating? It's not that hard to do. We could solve it. Someone could just, with the, with the flip of a switch, could solve this problem. For example, we just shouldn't allow kids to call their own lines. It's, it's just, it's just a, as simple as that. Little kids should not be calling their own lines with college scholarships and top rankings at stake. Kids shouldn't be out there doing that by themselves, in my, in my opinion. So how do we, t can, uh, so Gordon Paul says, how do we put pressure on the USDA? USDA is, I have a lot of friends in the USDA. I have a great relationship with the USDA, and I think they do a lot of good stuff. But this is one of the, one situation where USDA has completely dropped the ball and I think it's it's inexcusable the way junior tennis is the way we condo we don't condone it but the way we allow it to go on. So how do we get them to change? One one viewer suggested I should start writing about it more frequently. Like I should, they, one viewer suggested I should write an op-ed in the New York Times uh, about the state of the game, the state of junior tennis. Maybe start with something like that which I'm not, I'm not opposed to doing. I, I don't know how much of the cross I can bear myself. I, I don't know how much power I have. I have, I'm a good writer. I could write a good op-ed. I don't know if that will, that will stir some, some people in power to start thinking about it. I, I think there's a lot of, there, there is a lot of reluctance to change the, the way tennis is structured right now. There's a lot of traditionalists in tennis and there's people who, who just think, well, that's part of the sport and kids should, it, it toughens kids up and it, it, you know, it's, they have to deal with that and it'll make them stronger in the end. There's, there's, a sort of, there's a lot of people with that sentiment out there, which I don't agree with. Uh, the, the same, in the same way that we don't allow coaching for young kids. So maybe I'll get myself into, into another 
uh, controversy here, but I think we should absolutely allow coaching in tennis for young kids. Absolutely. There should be, there should be support, for, especially for, for kids under 10, under 12, under 14, who are not, they're not fully mature yet emotionally and psychologically, and they should have support from coaches during battle. They shouldn't be out there for two hours without any emotional support from either from their parents or a coach. I just don't think it's from a developmental, from a psychological development point of view, from a human development point of view, I don't think it's healthy for young children to be out there battling that long without some emotional support from from a parent or a coach and and not to mention, um, you know, the the tennis side of it. I'm, I'm speaking from a parent uh, with three children and and from a from a developmental human development point of view from a psychological point of view from a mental emotional point of view and and you start to see coach coaching is coming into the game you see it in Davis Cup you see it in Labor Cup you see it on the WTA tour now I think it's ridiculous that we send a 10 year old out there for two hours and the coach and the parents aren't allowed to say a word the kids emotionally self-destructing out there Lisa Stone has said the same thing on, on her show, her podcast, uh, where she's implied sort of the same, same thing that's crazy, that, that parents can't talk to their kids. It's ridiculous. What other sport do we have kids who parents can't talk to them during a competition? You know, you, you can't talk to your kid while they're out there battling. What if your kid's crying? Your kid's having an emotional breakdown. Your kid's being damaged psychologically from a, the trauma of a match and you're not allowed to go out there and talk to them it's ridiculous there should be breaks where parents can talk to their kids there should be coaching opportunities i, I just think it's like you know the, these rules the, the, that's another rule that i see is completely nuts in tennis that we should have coaching and we should we should, kids shouldn't be calling their own lines a kid with uh, uh, you take a teenager a teenager with college scholarship riding on it shouldn't they shouldn't have that temptation it shouldn't be there uh, adults, adults, uh, responsible adults should be, should be stepping in, keeping score, calling the lines, and and if a kid is out there having a traumatic event emotionally, we shouldn't all be standing around the sidelines saying, oh, we can't, we can't talk to them. You know, the rules are we can't, we can't even say anything. It's, it's just not healthy. At the end of the day, it's not healthy for a young child, you know, to be in that environment. That's my take on it. Uh, Robert Garrett says, I agree. Yeah, I'm glad you agree. A lot of people disagree, though. I get a lot of pushback. When I start talking about coaching for kids and I start talking about kids not calling their own lines, all the traditionalists are going to come out and they're going to say, no, that's not the way the game is, blah, 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 whatever. Think outside the box, people. Come on. Think about childhood development. Think about the emotional and mental capacity of a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old. You're putting them into the heat of battle. Tennis is already one of the most cutthroat sports because there's no teammates. You're out there all by yourself. It's already tough enough. But, but then to say that there can be no coaches or no parental involvement, I think it's absolutely ludicrous and it's not healthy. So people who say, well, it takes away from the, the, the toughness aspect of tennis. Tennis is tough enough. It is tough enough as it is. You don't, we don't need... We don't need to make it that much more cutthroat. We don't have to up it that much, in my opinion. You know, tell me that I, I do a lot of boxing. I do a lot of MMA. And don't tell me those guys aren't tough. The, you get boxers go to see their coach every, every couple minutes after a round. Don't tell me those guys aren't tough. Give me a break. 
You know, don't tell me that you allow coaching. It makes the, the kids are going to get soft or whatever. You know. Let's see. Garrett and uh, Robert says on the Payers and Players podcast, which is a great podcast, guys, by the way, if you, if you have a chance to check uh, Payers and Players, a relatively new podcast, and it's fantastic covering junior development, junior tennis, one of my favorite topics. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys agree. Cheating should just be stopped. I'm tired of talking about it. Everyone talks about cheating like, like our hands are tied, like, like it's some sort of, uh, it's like trying to uh, solve, uh, assault, come up with a cure for cancer or something. I mean, come on, guys. Cheating could be stopped tomorrow. If USDA wanted to, they could stop it. They could mandate and change the rule. They could stop it tomorrow. It could be stopped. It's re- it, people talk about cheating like uh, in one of the Facebook groups today, we were talking about cheating, and one commentator said, well, as long as there are human beings, uh, there will always be cheating in tennis. And I said, no, that's not true at all. We don't have to accept that, that there has to be cheating uh, ad infinitum in tennis for, for kids, for, the re- for, for, the, for, the, uh, for eternity. It's insane. It's insane that r- responsible adults and governing bodies can't come together and just put a stop to cheating tomorrow. We could do it. I don't think me contacting the USDA is, is, is really the answer. I would be happy to send some letters. We could, get a, we could get a petition drive going. We could get... I think parents should boycott. They should boycott tournaments that don't provide umpires. I think if we got all the parents together and said, we're not playing unless you provide a healthy environment with no cheating. You can guarantee that there'll be no cheating at this tournament. I am not going to play. And if all the parents came together and we boycotted the big tournaments... I think we'd get cheating stopped very quickly. We, we would have a mandate coming down the pipeline. Why? Why? There are mandates for everything. Why can't we get a mandate for, to stop cheating? Uh, Jeremy says, guys, am I talking too much about cheating? Let me know. It gets me upset. I have a son. I personally wouldn't let my son play. I don't think I'd let him play. I think, I think the toxicity in the junior, on the junior circuit is so bad, I don't know if I would let my son play. I would do a Serena and Venus Williams deal with my son. If he wanted to play top-level tennis, looks like he's going to get into cross-country. But if, he want, if any of my kids wanted to play top-level tennis, like, like, Robert and, uh, like Robert and Scott, like your, like your kids, I don't think I'd do it. I would do the Serena and Venus Williams deal where we train like a beast at home play a couple tournaments here or there and just go pro. Uh, because the, the, from a moral and ethical point of view, the junior circuit doesn't match my family values. The, the, the way it's structured, the way it's so toxic, and the, the, what it demands to be a top junior player, I mean, Frank Giampaolo in his book wrote that of all the players that he surveyed who won supers, and gold balls that 100% of them had to cheat or, or either uh, reactively cheat to win. To win a, they, they all admitted that they'd done it. So you start to think about, do you want to put your kid in an environment where he basically has to cheat in some form or another to be the best in the country? And you have to ask yourself if, that's, if, that's, if you're okay with that morally uh, and, and ethically from your family's point of view. And I can just tell you, the way 
my wife is, she wouldn't put up with any of that garbage. I mean, she wouldn't. I mean, from our, with, from our, in our family, I, I think she would, she would pull my son so quickly out of the, that junior circuit. Uh, it would be uh, in a heartbeat. She, w- she would say, this is no way we're doing this. And then I would be left to say to myself, okay, how am I going to create a champion if, I, if we don't want to do that? Well, I would just do a Serena Venus Williams deal. That's what I would do. Just from an ethical point of view, that's what I would do. Robert says, I think technology will be the solution to cheating those cheap machines on each court that call lines. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I've written about this a lot. It's coming soon. The end of cheating will, should happen in our lifetime. If it doesn't happen from the top down, like USTA or Mandate or, or something like that with human, with human umpiring, it will, it will end when we have the electronic line calling everywhere. When we have smart courts everywhere, when we have the line calling devices, when they get cheap enough that we can put them everywhere in a big tournament, uh, we can have 20 courts running with line calling automatically and scoring. You know, people forget that a lot of the cheating, a, a lot of the cheating is done with scoring. You know, people think, oh, it's just the line calls. But kids keeping their own score is a disaster. What other sport do we let kids keep their own score? You know, I know so many kids who cheat by, by messing with the score. And I just think that's part of it too. Kids shouldn't be keeping their own score. A lot of kids forget their scores. They don't even know what's going on. You know, it's the heat of battle. They're tired. They lose track of the score. You know, so, so just adults should be keeping score or, or the computer should be keeping score. It's ridiculous that we send them out there to keep their own score. These are sanctioned tournaments. They're not like, you know, if you're just playing with your friend at the club, then you should keep score. That's different. You know, then you can call your own lines. That's different. You know. Uh, Robert says, your emotional comments on coaching are totally correct. A 10-year-old will be on the court melting down emotionally and everyone just watches. No one talks to the child. They just talk about the child. Coaching would fix so many problems. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It is a dereliction of duty. It It is negligent for the governing body of our sport to let kids go out for an hour and a half or two hours, have a complete, have a complete mental emotional breakdown, have a, literally a traumatic event. They're having a traumatic event for a young child, psychologically traumatic event, and everyone just stands around outside the fence and says, hands off, we can't step in, nobody can say anything, well, the rules say we're not allowed to talk to Johnny or, or Sarah or whatever. Ridiculous. It's absurd and it's unhealthy, and it's negligent, and I would just walk on the court and grab my son and say, hey, we're leaving, you know, I don't care what the, I don't care what the USDA rules are, my son, if my son is out there struggling emotionally, he's going through a traumatic moment, I'm going out to talk to him, and and that should be allowed with the rules, it should be allowed, you should be able to take a break, take a time out, talk to your dad, take a time out, Talk to your coach. Talk to your mom. You know, we, we need to pr- provide some support for these young kids. These are little kids out there. They're not fully grown adults uh, with, full, with fully developed mental and emotional capabilities. You know, and the rules, the rules don't reflect. They don't, they don't take into account that. Uh, Ariel Ferrari is watching. Thanks for the wave. 
Adrian Filippini, thanks for the wave. We're having a great show. I'm sort of buzzing. I'm, I'm pumped, guys. I'm pumped. I shouldn't be pumped because I've been teaching. I think I taught long days since the early hours, uh, probably over 12 hours today. But I'm pumped because uh, having a great show. Got dozens and dozens of people watching. Great questions. I'm really enjoying. I, I enjoy. You know what I was thinking about the show? I enjoy the intellectual challenge. People challenge. They ask me. I don't know what people are going to throw at me. I enjoy the the thought process. I have to put. You guys challenge me to think about how I want to formulate my thoughts and my views. You make me a better coach. In in the end, you make me think about different topics that maybe are not on my radar or maybe I've, I've thought about them, but I, uh, you know, you pose questions and you, the questions that I get on this show, on these Q&A shows, they make me stronger, they make me sharper, they force me to reanalyze my takes on things. So that's, that, that is very good for me uh, to, to be challenged and, and I enjoy the intellectual exercise of that. So thank you for sharing and, and sharing your opinions. And even if you disagree with me, I, I can handle that. I realized that as soon as I wanted to get into online coaching and digital, uh, the digital world uh, of, of instruction and things like that, that there's going to be a lot of disagreements with folks because you're putting yourself out there. You're putting your system out there, your methodology, your philosophy, and, and people are going to disagree uh, people are going to try to flame you sometimes. There's always going to be some haters. You know, haters got to hate. But I realize that that's sort of the price you pay uh, for, 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 for trying to get out there and, and make and do something uh, exciting and special and, and to reach the world. If you want to reach the world, you're just going to have to accept that some people are, are going are gonna to hate and some people may disagree, and that's okay. And, and sometimes those disagreements make you reevaluate your stance and your philosophy, and they make you better. You know? But if you just hide under a rock and teach in your little, your little neck of the woods, you, you, you never get challenged and you never grow as a coach, for example. Michael says, just heard from a mother I met at the New Jersey Red Clay Championships, and... She says she's been at USDA matches so many times in those situations when my kids were devastated during the USDA match and I couldn't help them. That's what I'm talking about. Trust your parental instincts. What do your instincts say as a parent? Is that healthy for your kid? Is that a healthy setup, the way the tournaments are structured where you, you you're, there's a there is a, a, a giant divide where you're not allowed to step over and, and give any kind of support for your child during when they're in distress, especially young children. You know, the kid's 17 or 18, they're almost an adult. Maybe it's a little bit different story. But I, I work with many, many young kids, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, under 14 even. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, but this mom corroborates what, what we were talking about, that this is very common on the junior circuit where the parents are, are shut out and they're not allowed to, to provide any kind of support for the child. And I think it's wrong. I, I don't know any other sport. It's a turnoff for, turn for parents who are in tennis. 
what other sport does that? Tell me, guys, what other sport? You, you enroll your kid in basketball if they're having an emotional breakdown? Can you go talk to them? Give them a pat on the back? Tell them it's going to be all right? Tell them to get it together and get back in there? Are you, are you allowed to do that in basketball? Are you allowed to do that in baseball? Are you allowed to do that in football? Are you allowed to do that in any, any sport that I can... Every sport that I can think of, you're allowed to provide emotional support for your child. But apparently in tennis, the tennis child is supposed to be that tough. Is supposed to be a real tough guy or tough girl that, 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 that is somehow tarnishing the sport by allowing parents to do that for the kid or somehow making the kid less independent and tough. If we have some, uh, some emotional guardrails put in for, for children at these events, it's, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Like I said, boxers are super tough. I train with boxers all the time. They, they have coaching all, all the time. You know, that doesn't make you less tough. Ridiculous. Don't buy it. I had one commentator on YouTube tonight, uh, earlier today, and he said, well, try running a big junior tournament, and then you'll understand why we can't stop cheating, why we can't provide umpires for every court. Come on, people. Are you serious? You're going to tell me? I don't, I don't want to hear the list of excuses why we can't stop cheating. I know for a fact we could stop cheating tomorrow. Uh, Robert liked the idea of the boycott. I think that's maybe my best idea so far is parents should get together and boycott. And maybe that's something I'll work on. I don't know. I got a lot of balls that I'm juggling right now. I really do want to change the game for in, in terms of cheating, vis-a-vis -vis cheating. What do you think about a boycott, guys? Ashton Lay Hartley is waving. Thank you so much, Munjunath Ravi. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. It's my show. Let's see what time it is. Oh, I was. I've been live for an hour. I'll go a little more, guys. I'm telling you, I'm pumped. Sunday night, I get a little pumped. Uh, Johanna Besauga, sorry for that pronunciation job. Thank you for watching. Maud Wasim, thank you for watching. Guys, give me a shout out. Let me know where you're from. Any other questions on the line? It's getting late. I think it's around 10.30. I'll stay with you guys a little longer if you'd like. I'm pumped. Talking about cheating. I want to change the game. I want to change cheating. I want to stop cheating. On. USDA mandates everything. We could just mandate it. To, they could mandate it tomorrow. No more kids calling their own lines. And by the way, we'll allow coaching. Those two changes. Let's do it. Let's do that. Diamond Trand is watching. Thank you. Let me know where you're, where you're checking in from. Any other questions, guys? Tennis questions? I didn't even get to the topic that I was thinking of. Or maybe it was cheating, the technology aspect. Uh, shout, shoot me out any questions if you have them. We were talking about technique earlier. Great show. I feel like it was a great show. Maybe I should wrap it up now before, before everyone gets too sleepy. But uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoy talking about cheating. I feel like I have these conversations about cheating. And they don't go anywhere. I've seen other coaches have these conversations about cheating and nothing changes.
And I'm getting kind of tired of that. I, I've been in this game for a while now. I'm a, I'm a parent with young children. And I'm just, you, people have to take a step back. Don't be inframed by the tennis world. Step back and just look with clear eyes and clear vision at what's going on at junior tournaments. It's not right. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Little kids should be provided with emotional support from their parents or from a coach. And you should be able to take your son or daughter to a tournament and there will be a guarantee, an ironclad guarantee that, no, that your son or daughter is not going to get cheated that day and go home feeling like a failure or that life's unfair or to be emotionally decimated by some kid on the other side who's calling all the balls out. That should never happen. That should be an ironclad guarantee straight up from the USDA or whoever's running the tournament, Little Mo or any, any organizer of any event in the world, but especially in the U.S. It seems to be a big, big problem in the U.S. I think that's my closing thought. You know, uh, Thanks, Zoe. You've got to let me work on your forehand. If you follow what I'm telling you for a while... You can have that nice modern forehand, but I guess it depends on how much you're able to practice. Because that's the deal with adults. I have actually coached a number of adults, even though I'm a junior, I'm junior development coach um, primarily. I have actually worked with a lot of adults, and the, the, the key is how much time you have to practice as an adult. And... And that's one of the issues that I have with all of the online coaching right now, all of the courses that are being sold. Sometimes they're being quite heavily marketed and they're, being, they're using a lot of high-pressure sales tactics to get people like Zoe and Michael and adults to purchase their courses. But the courses are quite complicated and how realistic is it for the average person who has a job who doesn't have a lot of free time, doesn't have that much practice time to take a complicated course and actually affect some substantial change in their game without the help of a, of a coach working with them on court. I, I don't know how realistic that is. And so what we're going to try to do with our digital courses is make them very simple, maybe refer people to local specialists, people can, I'm going to be available. I am coaching. So people that are in my online programs will be able to work out with me. If they have, if they need follow-up, they can come train with me or one of my assistants. And I think what you see is that a lot of the online operators now are starting to realize that, and they're actually hiring people who can coach. And where, whereas people who are, are taking the courses are saying, well, we need some follow-up. Or we'd like to see you in person to see if we're doing this right. And they need to cater to that demand. I think you're starting to see that in the online space. A lot of them are becoming hybrid teaching organizations where they're doing a lot of stuff online, but they're also, they also offer a brick-and-mortar operation where they can work with players in person because a lot of players need that. And the typical adult, I think, needs that even more because they have very limited time and it's not realistic that they're going to just coach themselves with some technical change. They can't see themselves. They can't toss balls to themselves. It's, it's not, not easy. You can use a ball machine and you can get, 
fairly far working with yourself, but at some point you probably need some corroboration. You need some connection with a specialist, somebody live who can make sure you're you're doing what you're doing. You're you're making that progress. So I think that's where a lot of the online providers ha- are are sort of missing the mark, and and some of them are trying to adapt now and offer that. You know, so that's kind of how I see the online space. I see online education continuing to explode in the next decade or two. I see more and more sports education going online. I see the future where pretty much every serious coach is going to have an online digital coaching operation. So I see that as being the future where there'll be a merger between brick and mortar coaching and and digital coaching. So it's not just uh, in the future. It won't just be one uh, one coach teaching uh, in a in a club or at a place. Most coaches will have a hybrid operation. Will they'll be going digital, and there'll be some sort of interplay between them both. That's the way the future is going to go. I see my my old coach and friend Gilad is watching. What's up, Gilad? Thanks for the wave. I was just talking about you earlier, and I mentioned that you're the genius with technique, and that you were the biggest influence biggest influence on my coaching when I was young, uh, when I was just learning and. I really owe such a debt of gratitude to you, and I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that. You know, all all of the time that we spent on the court, and all of the help you gave me as a player, that was important. But the real gift that you gave me was that I, I learned how to coach from you, and I learned how to, I learned how to build and rebuild technique from you, and that was maybe the greatest gift that you ever that I ever got, and. That wasn't what I initially signed up for, but I, I've always been very, very grateful for that. And I just, you should, you should know that if you're catching this video, if you, you, you hear that, hopefully uh, you caught that message. I'm very sincere about that. And I always, I always give you credit for your, the great influence you had on me when I was a younger, younger coach and as a player, of course. But... You guys have any other uh, tennis questions? Zoe, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're excited about uh, learning that new forehand. Uh, like I said, you know, I, I said I don't know if you have time to learn it. You know, you, you, there has to be time for adults to learn this stuff. So that's even with me as a serious coach with you on the court, and I'm your neighbor, and I can work with you hands-on. I'm not sure if you could learn that, but... You see all these courses online, and they're going to tell you you can learn that on your own. Which, which, is that really realistic for the average adult player? You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a tough sell, uh, especially concerning the time commitment. I see Faisal Hassan is watching. What's up, Faisal? You're a great coach. I enjoy your videos. Gilad, thanks for the kind words back. I, I'm trying to do that. You know, they say that you... You try to stand on the shoulders of giants. I, I definitely feel that way where I'm trying to take everything I, everything I picked up from you and the, the genius that you have, the way, the way you see it, the way you, the way you see the player and the way you can transform a player. And I've always tried to, to do that and take it. And now I'm trying to take it to the next level. So yeah, that, that's the, that's the deal. And like I was saying before, the next level is going to be, it's, it's digital. It's online, man. It's, that's, that's where the future's going. 
and there'll be a, there will be a, it'll be a hybrid. People are never going to leave. You know, you're still going to need personal coaching, but more and more of the high performance coaches and the best coaches in the world, the best academies in the world, are all going to be going digital, with some sort of digital operation combined with brick and mortar coaching. Because they have to, because they're not going to give up their market share to the online operators. They're not. They're not going to do it. They're. They're going to. They're going to compete. Brick and mortar clubs and coaches and academies. They're going to compete with the, with the, with the online coaches. So, and the online coaches are going to be offering more and more personal coaching because people need it. People can't just learn. So, they, most people can't learn on their own. You know, just just from a video. That's not realistic. Especially for someone who's got a job, got kids, doesn't have a lot of time. They need that extra pair of eyes and they need that hands-on help. So I just see it, it's, it's, everything's going hybrid for the future. Uh, were there any other tennis questions, guys? I guess I got a little off talking about uh, digital coaching and, and things like that. If there are not any other tennis questions, uh, technique or that kind of thing, I think uh, I will need to... Maybe go sleepy time. It's been a long day. If, you, if you're a coach, you know what the weekends are like. They are a grind, but they're rewarding. You have some tough lessons, and you have some lessons that you love. You know, so not, not every lesson is easy, but you get through that weekend, and hopefully you got some downtime coming for the week. I'm looking forward to this week, spending some time with the kids and family. We're going to Vermont. Uh, I won't be teaching for a few days, which will be nice. I'll be sort of on vacation and, and just trying to uh, spend time with my kids and my wife. And Vermont's one of our favorite places, so we'll be going up to the mountains. Uh, if, there's any, if there's no more tennis questions, I, will, I think I will sign off. Guys, if you could please uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to blow that up. Right now, we're, we're building up followers and subscribers, and we're moving into the online space. Uh, so please uh, go to our YouTube channel. Just search Chris Lewitt. And if you could subscribe, I'd really appreciate it. And if you like the show, click the like button and share with your friends. We're going to do the show every Sunday night, 930. I'm getting online with, with coaches, players, and parents and answering any kind of tennis questions, talking tennis. We also have a show on Friday morning, 830 a.m. That's my morning show. Uh, that's a Q&A as well. So that's also on Facebook Live. You can catch my morning show on Fridays, 8.30 a.m. You can catch me Sunday nights at 9.30, which is a Sunday night question and answer show. And then we have a, a weekly a reality show that's following me around with my coaching in my life. It's called Prodigy Maker. And that is a YouTube show only. And we try to premiere a new show every week. Uh, with my life, my work, and my career as I try to build the next American champion player. That's sort of the thesis of the show. And what can I say? We'll try to do it. You know, we'll try to get the next American champion coming up. I got a few kids who I, I like right now, one kid in particular who I think could do it. So we'll, we'll, we'll just, the camera's going to follow me around. We're going to do uh, my life, my work, and, and see where it leads. But it should be fun. And also in that show, we get on court a lot. We get on court uh, sharing how I work with kids in lessons and groups and things like that. So have a good night, everyone. It was a great show, like a lot of activity on the show. I'm very, very happy. 
Uh, I wasn't sure if anyone would stay up late with me, but it's really cool to have the audience support and to have all of the participation. And I will wrap it up and say I will see you guys on the next show. Have a great week. Enjoy the holiday. Spend time with family. Don't forget about family. Family is the most important thing in the world. More important than developing the next great American champion. More important than that extra lesson. Spend time with family. All right. God bless. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find archives of all Chris's shows at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt or search Chris Lewitt on YouTube. You can watch the live video broadcast of this program weekly on Sunday nights where you can ask questions and comment in real time on Facebook Live. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the live show. Please share our programs with friends and join our online community. You can join Chris Lewitt's online tennis academy at clta.teachable.com or visit chrislewitt.com for more info. Chris's latest published articles and additional video resources can be found at prodigymaker.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.